This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight on Huckabee, presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Ignite your life with author Barry McGuire, Veronica and her incredible friends, saxophonist and songwriter Bill French. Drake Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everyone. Hey, I am not a journalist. I don't even play one on TV. No, I'm a highly opinionated commentator, and my views are not secret. I don't for one moment pretend to be objective. I just don't. I've got strong convictions that are my platform. Now, journalists are supposed to be unbiased and virtually agnostic in regard to politics. But you'll be very hard-pressed to find many of those folks these days. Look, real journalism is as dead as the last string of Disney movies and Bud Light beer, okay? <laughs> dead. Totally. Most of those who claim to be journalists are as biased as me. And I've already said, I don't wear the striped shirt of a referee, but the team uniform of a constitutional conservative Christian pro-life advocate. That's who I am. But despite my outspoken commentaries, I actually enjoy having civil conversations with people with whom I may not agree on a list of issues. Believe it or not, we really do try hard on this show to get people of various viewpoints to be our guests. There's hardly a week that goes by that we don't try to get a prominent Democrat to be on the show. And it's not to ambush them, not to berate them, or to confront them, but to genuinely treat them respectfully and graciously. Now, maybe it's the Southerner in me, but a guest should be treated like a guest, and a host ought to act with hospitality toward his or her guest. It's that simple. I'd have a lot more Democrats on this show if we could simply get them to agree to come. We've had some, and if you've ever seen those interviews, you know that they are given a very warm welcome, and we allow them to speak their minds without being interrupted or yelled at. My views are never threatened just because somebody sees the world differently than I do. If I believe what I say, and I say what I believe, hearing the positions of others, that doesn't intimidate me. It gives me an opportunity to test my beliefs in the face of respectful disagreement. That's America, how it's supposed to work. Well, tonight, my first guest on this show is a Democrat from one of the most storied names in American politics, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, I've been intrigued by his campaign for president, and by the depth of his passion regarding issues. And I've also been intrigued by the irrational opposition that has risen up 
within his own party. Whether he and I agree on conclusions, that's for another time. But I sincerely welcome him tonight as someone I have come to respect for his having the courage of his convictions and the willingness to bring those convictions to you by way of this show. I'm not asking you to vote for him in the Democrat primary. That's entirely up to you. But I am asking that you give an ear to his story and his reasons for running for president of the United States. And I already know that our studio audience is going to join me in offering a very warm and heartfelt thanks that he respected us enough to come and sit for a conversation with me. Please welcome to our show for the first time, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. That's a nice welcome here for you. Thank you all very much. You know, these folks seem to like you better than some of the people in your own party. I'm I'm amazed by... Even my own family. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. My family doesn't like me much either, so I can relate to that. So what is it that the Democrat establishment is so afraid of with you? Uh, uh, Well, I think because... I, you know, because I'm a threat to President Biden and a, and the DNC has rallied around the president. They, you know, it's interesting because the DNC has a rule that they have to be neutral and it's part of their charter. Mm-hmm. But they violated that during the Bernie Sanders election. And uh, Bernie Sanders afterwards sued them and the, the courts made a holding that even though they have that as part of their charter, that they don't need to pay any attention to it. So they can choose favorites. So they're very, this election, they've been very open about, um, about disparaging my campaign. And, and they have allies in the, in the mainstream media, at CNN, at uh, NBC, ABC, CBS, and, um, you know, and uh, MSNBC. So in those, and the New York Times, et cetera, so in those media outlets, um, I don't get a hearing in those outlets. And uh, and then I think also I'm a threat to other parts of the establishment, to the pharmaceutical cartel, to the the military-industrial complex, to to the... this corrupt collusion of state corporate power that has put Wall Street's priorities ahead of the American middle class and all of those, uh, you know, those, uh, those entities that are really operating within the beltway to strip mine the middle class of its wealth and its equity. And I, because I've spent 40 years suing those agencies um, I think I'm probably more of a threat to them than any other candidate because I understand how the agencies work and also how to unravel agency capture. There are a lot of problems within the Republican Party like they are in the Democrat Party where it's all about protecting the institutions and the people who run them rather than protecting the working people who stand on concrete floors all day and sweat through their socks. That's what I think is happening. People are listening to your message, it's it's kind of an old-fashioned message that your father and your uncle, uh, that they taught. And it, it's almost like that today there are so many people in power 
that don't want to hear that message. Why? Well, I, I mean, they're in power because they're part of that system. And, um, you know, and particularly, I think, we're seeing more and more kind of the weaponization of, of the enforcement agencies of CIA, of FBI, and the politicization of those agencies, which was really off limits and verboten mm-hmm. in the past. And, um, you know, my family's had a 60-year fistfight with the CIA. And my uncle, in fact, among the, the documents that they won't release illegally, they're withholding after his death, there's 4,000 documents that President Trump promised to release and then did not for some reason that President Biden promised to release. And, uh, and there, among those 4,000 documents is my uncle's plan, John Kennedy's plan, that was written by two of his closest aides, Dick Goodwin and Arthur Schlesinger, or reorganizing the CIA hmm. to make it so that it begins again to serve Americans' national security and the public interest rather than, as you say, the institutional interests of that agency and the mercantile interests of, you know, certain industries, the pharmaceutical and oil industry. And I think that is a real threat um, to, you know, some of these entities inside the Beltline. You have done something that even Kamala Harris, the vice president, who was supposed to be in charge of the border, really hasn't done. You went down to the border and looked at it firsthand. What did you see when you were there? Uh, what needs to be done as, as you see it? I, I was shocked by what I saw. And actually, Governor, it took me three days to actually absorb what I was looking at. And when I, first of all, I arrived in Yuma, and there's a gap in the wall there. And I arrived in Yuma at two o'clock in the morning. Hmm. And I watched over the next two hours, I watched 300 people come through. Um, I thought I would see a lot of people from Latin America and Central America. But the first group of 110 were all African. They were from young men from West Africa. And then, and I was not able to talk to them um, because the, they were already being processed by the uh, Border Patrol. The second group that came through, there were two more busloads. The buses are owned by the Mexican drug cartels. There were 55 people on each bus, and they were, I interviewed each one of them. They were from Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, um, uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, China, Tibet, and India. So there was only two families the whole night from Latin America, and they were the only two families who had legitimate asylum claims. And these were families, but most of what you saw were mostly young men, right? Most of them were not families. Most of them were individuals and they were adults. Um, But they, and then, I mean, the weird thing that's happened was once they come through, the Border Patrol no longer patrols the border. They've become essentially travel agents. They're, they're working, everybody now, the, the Mexican drug cartels are now running U.S. immigration policy. Oh, seven million, there's no effort to stop them. They, they come in, they're, pro, they're fingerprinted. If they have a criminal record, they're diverted. But if they don't, they're put on a plane within four days to any destination that they want in the United States. If they do not have money for a plane ticket, then the... Uh, the Border Patrol buys them a plane ticket. 
and they're landing now then, you know, on cities like New York, 100,000 have landed yeah. in New York. They're crushing the social safety net. And the people, the people who believe that this is the right thing from a humanitarian point of view, it's a humanitarian crisis. It's a, it's a, it's a disaster, it's a catastrophe. The people who are coming through are given a court date seven years in the future. Seven years. So then they're here for seven years, but they are in a, a limbo status. Well, they can't legally work. And so they become targeted by unscrupulous employers who hire them usually on construction sites for five or six dollars an hour, which they can't live. So they're still yeah. sleeping on the sidewalk and they're dampening the pay for, you know, for legitimate, for American uh, construction workers, sure. unionized construction workers. Uh, but plus, they're, they're absolutely devastating the social safety net in New York. They're now putting them in encampments on Roosevelt Island, which is where all the sporting fields for New York um, uh, middle schools and elementary schools and high schools are. Oh, New York kids who were locked in during the COVID epidemic for three years. And a lot of these are kids that are potentially scholarship trajectory kids. Yeah. Could not play their sports for two years. Finally, they're on the sporting fields. Now those sporting fields, Mayor, Ad Mayor Adams is putting um, migratory encampments there so they can't play sports anymore. This is not good for anybody in the country. There are 7 million that have come across over the past um, three years. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, and it, it's, it's crushing our country. I, you know, I work with Cesar Chavez during the last two, 10, 20 years of his life on pesticide issues. Yeah. He was a very close ally of my father's. But the other big issue for him at, during that part of his life was closing the border because huh. he saw what it was doing to, um, what you know, the migration was doing to, to reduce the leverage of legitimate farm workers to demand decent pay and you know, wages and, and conditions in their employment. This isn't good for anybody. And, and the, 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 another thing is, everybody who came across the border that night knew exactly what was going to happen. The Mexican drug cartels are advertising on TikTok and on, um, and on YouTube all over the world and saying, you give us $10,000 or $15,000 and we will get you in the United States. And here's what you do. You get a, a plane to Mexico City and we will get you a visa um, you then are put on a domestic flight inside Mexico to Mexicali. We will then pick you up at the um, at the airport. There's a there's a uh, parking lot there filled with buses that are owned by the cartels, and the they will then they drive them up to the border, which we saw, and 55 people get off each bus and cross the border, and nobody has ever stopped. There's nine Border Patrol agents that have committed suicide during the last year because they're, they're utterly demoralized because of what's happening. This is so disturbing that, you know, we, we're not hearing this because the news media are not telling us this. And, you know, I think it requires someone like you that goes and looks at it, spends a little time there. I want us to pick up there when we uh, come back from the break. There is a lot more that we have to talk about with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. after the break, so please stick around. We'll be right back. Coming up on the show, Barry McGuire brings an inspiring message in his new book, and later, Smooth Jazz by saxophonist Phil French. You're watching Huckabee.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Welcome back as we continue our conversation with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And in your campaign for the presidency, um, you know, we've talked about the fact that many people in your own party have tried to shut you down, but you recently had to sue both Google and YouTube because they were shutting you down, trying to take your voice away from things you wanted to talk about. It's frightening to me uh, that a judge decided, no, they're private companies, and even though they basically operate like monopolies, they base just tell you that you can't talk. We don't want to hear what you have to say. That's disturbing from a First Amendment standpoint. Well, they, you know, I we do have one of our cases um, which has, you know, which is has yielded a decision by Judge Doty, a 155-page decision. Um, and I we brought that case. It's called Kennedy versus Biden, and then the Attorney Generals of Louisiana and uh, Republican Attorney General yeah. of Louisiana and and Missouri brought a companion case, and now they've been merged. And the, uh, there, the this very really good decision by a judge in Louisiana has um, has now ordered the White House to have no more contact with Google and with. Uh, or with any of the, or Facebook, or any of the social media sites. I, my name is all over that lawsuit because I was the first person, I was censored by both administrations at government orders. Hmm. Um, and, you know, a, a private company like Google or YouTube have the right to censor you. And it's not right because they are now, they occupy the public square. They yeah. are the public square. Uh, but the, the law is pretty clear that, you know, they, they're like a publisher. They can, pub, they can publish you for no reason or any reason. But they cannot censor you if the government ordered them to do it. Yeah. And, and what, we, what this decision by Judge Doty said is that, yeah, the government was ordering within 37 hours of President Biden taking the oath of office, the White House was ordering Google, ordering uh, Twitter and Facebook to remove my accounts. And it wasn't because I was spreading misinformation, which people say, but, uh, you know, my fact-checking operation is probably more robust than any uh, um, news organization in this country. I have 350 PhD scientists, MD physicians, who are on our medical advisory board. Oh, I don't publish anything that is not peer-reviewed, is not sourced to a peer-reviewed publication or government database. They had to, in fact, internally invent a new category. So they have misinformation, disinformation. For me, they used a word called malinformation, and that means misinformation that is true, but is nonetheless inconvenient for the government, and the government wants to be taken down. That is and, disturbing. And that what they were doing was... They were threatening Google or threatening Twitter to remove their Section 230 immunity. 
So these companies, these uh, social media companies, rely on a section called Section 230 of the Communications Act. And Section 2, you know, normally, if you publish a defamatory um, article about me in the New York Times, an editorial, I can sue you, but I can also sue the New York Times. Congress passed a law that applies to the social media site. It says that if somebody publishes a defamatory um, uh, post, on those sites that the that the, the site, the social media site is immune. You can't sue them. And that makes sense because otherwise they would have to vet with attorneys every single post and it, it would be the end of their business model. In fact, Mark Zuckerberg said it's existential to us. If we don't have that section 230 protection, we're out of business overnight. Mm-hmm. And so what the White House was telling Twitter and Facebook is if you don't censor Kennedy, that we will take away your Section 230 immunity. And so, uh, and they were not only censoring me, they were censoring a lot of people. And they weren't, you know, it wasn't as public health information. They were censoring information about the Ukraine war. Yeah. They were censor- At one case, they ordered, censored a satirical um, article about President Biden and his wife that had no nothing to do with any issue. It was just, you know, it was a satire. And so, you know, when, when the ruler yeah. can silence, when the government can silence its critic, it has license for any atrocity. It, it's and disturbing. That, and I, I wanted to mention that you were at a congressional hearing. It was one of the most compelling I've ever seen. It was on censorship. You were there to talk about censorship, and the whole thing was... People from the Democrat Party in Congress were doing everything they could to censor you in the context of a hearing regarding censorship. That was ironic. Beyond ironic. It was almost comical. It was so bizarre. Yeah, it was. And they, you know, not only did they, 100 Congress people signed a petition to to make sure that I couldn't talk at a censorship hearing. But but then um, when I got there, they moved, they made a motion to go into executive session so the public couldn't hear me. And I testified, and they voted, you know, on a long party lines, eight to 10, uh, to censor, but to, you know, the republic, the 10 Republicans voted to let me speak, and the eight Democrats voted to censor me. But then they would ask me uh, questions and they would not permit me to answer, which you can do in Congress. And you know, which is which was another sort of surreal situation. But luckily, I was allowed to talk. And um, you know, it was as you said. People told me. People have told me that in forty or fifty years of observing congressional hearings, that that was uh, the strangest one that they have ever seen. It it was in fact. I, I want to tell you, I appreciate. The convictions that you have come, particularly the fight for the middle class, fight for workers. I want to say thank you for coming tonight. It is an honor to have you. Um, and, and I think you're striking a nerve. I know your numbers are shooting up in places like South Carolina, and that scares the daylights out of some of the people who don't want to see your message out. We're delighted to be able to have this time to visit with you. I hope we get to do it again. But thank you. Bobby, thank you for coming and sharing with us and for being with us. It's been an honor. I hope that you will follow Mr. Kennedy on social media.
We've got all of his links for you at Huckabee.tv, and you can go directly to his campaign, get his message, and find out what it is he's saying that has some people really, really nervous in Washington. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell us what's ahead on the show. Keith? Well, stay right where you are. Get ready to laugh at the news on In Case You Missed It. That's right after the break. Stuff. That was great. I, I'm sorry to yes. interrupt here. But, uh, you know, it is your birthday, or it was yesterday. It was. Yes, uh, it was. And uh, the cast and crew chipped in, and we know how much you Whoa. like dogs. I love dogs. So we, we got you oh, a little present here. <laughs> oh. I think you'll like oh, it. Oh, this is great. This is a little cushion with Janet and me holding yeah. gumbo and bandit. That's really sweet. Let's see what is it. Oh, this is what awesome. What else you got there? There's one of Just Bandit uh -huh. on both sides. Look at that. That is great. And here's Gumbo. Aww. Who couldn't Aww. love those dogs, huh? Uh, Trey, Thank you. Hit it. Oh, we have to do it. Yeah. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Everybody. Happy birthday. That is so very kind. By the way, you know, sometimes at the end of a birthday song, somebody will say, and many more. Mm -hmm. Janet and I had a friend several years ago, and we finished singing, and somebody said, and many more, and she honestly said, just who is many more? Well, you know, I've wondered about it. She that. really did. I, I mean, swear. Every show you ever hear publicized, yeah. they'll say many more. And I go to see many more, and <laughs> yeah. she never shows Must up. Must be a cousin of Minnie Mouse or something like that. that. That's I don't what know. I'm thinking. Could that's be. Well, yeah. thank you very much. Okay. From brown trees to really white food, we've got the most colorful news of the week on In Case You Missed It. White people love Chinese food. But, Keith, did you know that Chinese people are not so crazy about white people food? I didn't know that. Yeah. There's a social media fad in China where people share their reactions to eating what they think of as white American food. Low-calorie, tasteless, eat-on-the-go foods like bagged salads or a sandwich made with one slice of processed meat and processed cheese on white bread with mayo. Uh, uh, one Chinese commenter said that this food can drain the soul and the human warmth out of you. <laughs> but on the plus side, quote, he says, it helps you learn what it's like to be dead. Oh. Wow. I mean, they even prefer North Korean food, and that's large helpings of grass clippings and tree uh, bark. Yep. Been By the way, done that. Yeah. one Chinese person who watched a colleague eat oatmeal with low-fat yogurt, half an apple, and a carrot for 10 straight years said, if such a meal is to extend life, what is the meaning of life? And my point exactly. I mean, you know, I think we finally found something in common <laughs> between China and Southerners, don't you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, Burger Kings in Thailand invented what they must think is the ultimate American white people food. It's called the ultimate cheeseburger. No meat on it. It's a bun with 20, that's right, 20 slices of American cheese stacked up on it. Yeah. I mean, that's cheesier than your dad jokes, Steve. <laughs> that's really bad. Well, where's the burger part of it? I mean, it's, it's just a cheeseburger. Anyway, a lot of people are trying it once. <laughs> and those whose mouths aren't glued shut and could actually talk said they probably won't order it again. Now, some won't order it because it's just too much cheese. But the rest, well, they're not going to order it again because they had heart attacks halfway through the first one. Oh, wow. Ugh. Mm. Uh, speaking of a food that could kill you, a female Huck's criminal mastermind was arrested at a St. Petersburg Beach, Florida restaurant after she got into a dispute with a man and she threw a burrito at him. But she missed her target and the flying burrito struck another man in the face. This wasn't your wife, was it? No, it wasn't. It sounds it like something she might. Sounds like it, <laughs> it could does. have been. She's here. I better be oh, careful. Oh, yeah. You better be careful. <laughs> there was a band in the 60s. I don't know if you remember them called the Flying Burrito Brothers. I remember them. Wow. I think this is how they got their name. Mm -hmm. This lady. Anyway, the police report didn't say whether the man who got beaned by the burrito. Get that? See what I did uh, there? I got beaned by the burrito. By the burrito. Uh, didn't know whether the man was injured, but to be on the safe side, paramedics checked his cholesterol. Yeah. Anyway, the woman was charged with disorderly conduct and had to pay $250 in bail. They hope that will keep her from making a run for the border. Oh. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, rim shot out. Yeah, good one. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in Beverly, England, the city Christmas tree was still standing in July. Mm. Ah. Yeah, and here's what was happening. They were going to take it down, but they discovered that there was a wood pigeon who had built a nest in that tree. Well, you can't get rid of no, that. No, you can't, because no. wildlife laws there banned disturbing a bird while they're nesting. So they couldn't remove the tree. It stayed up until it got brown, and the sidewalk under it had dropped more needles than is on the sidewalk of San Francisco. <laughs> oh! Pretty bad. Some of you yeah. are just not catching up with yeah. that. Eh? They're just wow. figuring it out. Anyway, they couldn't remove the Christmas lights because the baby birds were so used to all the flashing lights that they left the nest and flew to Las Vegas. Oh. <laughs> anyway, by the time they finally took the tree down, it was August, and it was time to put the Christmas decorations back up well, again. Of course. So there we go. Finally, in our video of the week, we bring you some of the world's greatest magicians. Well, this be, may be the most amazing yet. Watch how fast this kitten learned how to make a coin disappear. Watch, this is just so good. Oop. Wow, did you see that? I mean, this cat is so good at grabbing money and making it disappear that its owner named it Hunter. <laughs> well, Heath, I think that seems like the perfect place to end this bit. But until next time, just remember, we read the news. So you don't have to. Oh, you outdid yourself tonight, Governor. Next, ignite your life through Christ with Barry McGuire. Then be amazed and astonished with Veronica and her incredible friends. Spoiler alert, her friends are poodles. That's coming up on Huckabee.
And welcome back, everyone. Barry McGuire not only turned McGuire's Car Wax from a small family business into America's number one car wax, but he's also the founder of the Ignite America Ministry and host of the TV shows Car Crazy and Ignite Your Life. His brand new number one Amazon bestseller is called Ignite Your Life, Defeat Fear with Effortless Faith. Please welcome a good friend, Barry McGuire. Barry, good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, a lot of people, both watching as well as in the studio, have probably used McGuire car wax at it's, some it's point. Possibility, yes. It's a possibility. It's a good possibility. Um, it's been in your family for a long time, but you devote most of your time not to restoring cars, but people. You know, uh, we were, I was buffing cars and body shops. We were doing $600,000 a year. I'm the third generation leader of the business. And God inspired me to go retail. But at the same time, um, he impressed upon me, once I get to heaven, it's not going to matter how many bottles of car wax I sold. Mm -hmm. yeah. He actually sent a guy into my office when, right when I was saying I should go into full-time ministry, and he didn't know anything about that. I trained the prayer like 20 minutes earlier. And he walked in and he asked me how things were going, and I talked about sharing my faith a little bit. He's, God's given you wonderful ministry here, hadn't he? Hmm. I said, Wait, it was like Twilight Zone. Why would he say that right now? I said, why would you say that? He says, well, a, a, a pastor can't reach the people you're reaching. Hmm. Uh, but as a businessman, you can. It's obvious that your business is your pulpit. Interesting. And, and that was 1973. And from then till now, I've recognized my business is not my God. It's my business. I love my business. I love shiny cars. I love my business. <laughs> but when I get to heaven, we're not going to be talking about how many bottles of car wax I sold. It's just not going to yeah. be. It, the, the only thing that's going to matter once we get to heaven, how many people are in heaven because of our influence? Interesting. And, and yeah. that's the key. So instead of moving <laughs> one person a day, the way to do it, we've been, Terry and I, I have the world's greatest wife. For 50 years, we've been sharing our faith every day, and our goal is move everybody, not one person, move everybody every day a little closer to Jesus. Just, mm. And if you do that, the amazing things happen. That's I, a whole different just, kind of shine, isn't it, Barry? Well, I mean, uh, from car wax? Fun, I got to tell you, because 80% um, of, uh, of our audience right now are yeah. living in fear. Why, what are people afraid of? What do you think people are afraid of? Afraid, I mean, what's not yeah. to be afraid of today, right? Look at the headlines. How do you defeat fear? This is a big yeah. issue, you know? God's purpose is to seek and save the lost. So what he's saying to us, if we live every day, folks, to seek and save the lost, or we say move everybody every day closer to Jesus, we live in the promise of Romans 8, 28. And he, he pours out his blessings, and even in the bad stuff, he turns it to good, uh, because he honors his word. I, I think the key thing is it doesn't say that everything is good. Some things are not good, but they work together for yeah. good. The well, big difference. And, and God's view of good is what will get more people into heaven? Mm, yeah. You know, even the bad stuff is good stuff. When you realize God's in it, you just live for God. You just go for it. And Garrett and I laugh all the time. We say, okay, what do you have in store for us now, God? Another lesson or, or somebody else you want to lead us to? When you're in, when you're in travail, your testimony has far more power. The fact that you have discovered a pulpit on the hood of a car is a remarkable story. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in Barry's book, Ignite Your Life. If you want to get a copy of the book and find out how to get it, you can go to Huckabee.tv. We have links to Ignite Your Life. You can download a free sample. And I think once you do that, you'll want to read the whole thing. Right now, I'm going to uh, do a little shine of my own. I'm going to shine over to Keith Bilbrey. 
He's going to tell us what we're about to ignite next on this show. Keith? Well, up next, an amazing dog show with Veronica and her incredible friends, and then a jazz performance with saxophonist Phil French. Commander Philip Breedlove and a song from gospel artist Rachel Hale. Well, you know, I was saying to my next guest that I kind of feel sorry for him. I mean, you never want to follow kids or dogs ever. <laughs> and he's following both a kid with a bunch of dogs. Yes, sir. You're amazing. Phil French is a gifted saxophonist, songwriter, and producer. He's made his mark in both the gospel and jazz worlds. The former musical director for Grammy winner Yolanda Adams, Phil has performed with top stars from Grover Washington Jr. to the Winans. He believes music is a way to cross all barriers and show everyone the glory of God. Please give a very warm welcome to Phil French. Phil, great having you here. Blessing, sir. It's a blessing to be here, man. Yeah, I was thinking when this beautiful thing going on with the dogs, and I'm thinking, poor Phil, he's got to really nail this, right? <laughs> Man, there's nothing like canine love in the world. Oh, so it's absolutely fantastic. fantastic. You know, speaking of love, you have a love for music, but people who hear you have a love for you. Something that started when you were in the public schools in Maryland as a kid. Yes, sir. Who inspired you and in encouraged you to do this so that you could make a living at it? Well, I... I Grew up in, I'm a church boy, you know, so um, what the pastor's son was then the minister of music. Um, well, he's a pastor now, Pastor Jonathan Carson. He nurtured me along mm -hmm. initially. He's the first one to really kind of motivate me outside of my parents uh, to uh, actually play the saxophone. I played, I learned it in school. I saw it in a regular mu music class and I saw the, the advertisement coming around. I just fell in love with this big curly thing with all these keys. I, <laughs> the curiosity got me. And, uh, I was so blessed that my mother took a part-time job to allow me to play saxophone. There was some sacrifice in your family for yes, you to sir. be able to do that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A lot of families would have just said, no, we, we can't afford that. But your mother didn't. She wanted you to be able to do that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bless well, us. it's turned out pretty good, Phil. I mean... God is good, man. You know, there's something that uh, you have discussed, and it's called the circular breathing technique, and I've never heard of that before. What in the world is that, and how does it relate to playing a saxophone? Well, circular breathing is a technique that allows you to hold a note for a long time. Um, Kenny G is the most popular guy you may hear that does it. He plays, holds a note forever, and he looks at his watch. And, you know, initially, um, from what I hear, from the red, the technique was developed for snake dancers. You know, so as long as you can keep a snake dancing, you, it was fine. So that technique was developed, and it's translated over to wind instruments to allow you to have long phrasings and to get nice tones and complete uh, phrases without taking deep breaths of air to get your phrasing out. I, if, if it would keep me from snakes, I would learn <laughs> how to do it. I really would. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, yes, it would sir. be worth it. Absolutely. We're not going to make you do any snake dances, but by golly, we're sure going to make you blow that horn. If you had a snake out there, I probably, wouldn't, I probably would do it. Yeah, definitely. If you had a snake out here, I would be 17 blocks away from here. And, and I'll be doing it from 16. <laughs> okay, there you go. Well... Phil is going to head for the stage. Keith is going to tell you how to get more of the great music 
of the one and only Phil French, which you're going to want. Keith? Well, to find all of Phil's albums and upcoming shows and social media, visit Huckabee.tv. Now performing Been So Good with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, here's Phil French.